Podcast. I am your host, Mike Dearman, and this is a special episode, actually, because today, Max Kerman's not here. Uh, he's on the road with the band, gearing up for a big show this weekend at Massey Hall in Toronto with Frank Turner. We're going to get to that. Um, but in Max's place, we have dear friend of the pod, Dan Carruthers on. Dan, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. Have you been on a podcast before? I've never been on a podcast before. I didn't even know Max was in a band, actually. <laughs> I just thought he was a podcast guy. No, I'm kidding, obviously. Actually, for our listeners, Dan, why don't you let them know who you are? I mean, you help this pod out a lot, but you have an actual uh, day job. So a lot of like the, the promo uh, you see for the pod is Dan or Dan's ideas. The Facebook Lives we've been doing, Dan records. He's the guy behind the camera asking the questions. But like I said, Dan, you have a legit job, man. You're a pro. Well, explain to the listeners what you do. Uh, you kind of just summed it up. Uh, I, I work on the marketing and social team at Much and MTV Canada. Uh, and it's basically my job to promote what you're doing, uh, get people to watch the, the TV shows, uh, help out the Much creators uh, with Much Digital Studios. Yeah, and I uh, help out on the social team quite a bit. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All that jazz. That's all you. You're you're like Oz. Not all me. You're the man uh, behind the curtain. But yeah, I, I am sort of the uh, faceless entity behind uh, uh, at much every every once in a while. You're originally from Calgary. Correct. Is it Calgary or Calgary? Just Calgary. Yeah, it's like kind of like Toronto and Toronto. It's yeah. like people not from there. We won't judge you, really. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's very nice out there. So how did you uh, how did you get into TV? How did I get into the biz? Well, I took uh, journalism at Mount Royal College in Calgary, Alberta, uh, hoping to become a, a little beat reporter, entertainment music writer of some kind. And I just sort of fell into the TV business, got an internship with what was the old MTV Canada back in 2005, let's say. There was a studio in Calgary, There was right? a studio in Calgary as well as Vancouver, my boss, who you have had on this podcast, Randall Graham. That's correct. Uh, moved to Toronto in 2007. Am I saying that right? Toronto? Yes. Okay. You nailed it. Yeah. We Mo- won't judge you. Moved here in 2007. Uh, took about a year. Got me out here. Scheduled some promos for Much. Got into the marketing gig a few years ago. And yeah, I've been with Much for seven or eight years now. Well, the thing with you, you're a massive music fan, like uh, for our listeners, Dan, you, and also you're a photographer. You take photos, uh, like live photos of bands you've shot. Who have you shot? You've shot Sam Roberts, Sam Roberts, Jay-Z, The Killers, Green Day, yeah. Selena Gomez, One Direction, everybody. Yeah. So here's yeah. The, so it's like, you know, Dan's being humble. You obviously do the social media thing and work in marketing, but you have this creative outlet. You take great photos, you shoot these live photos, but I think at the heart of what you do is that you're just like this massive, pure music fan. Uh, you getting into music television, was that a function of your fandom or did the fandom come after you got into music television? Uh, the fandom came first. And then when I realized that I could make a living watching music videos, being involved in the, I guess I'm not in the music industry per se. I'm in the TV industry, but to be connected to that arm of it, uh, even, I mean, getting to work with Max on this podcast is kind of a dream come true. Um, so yeah, the Phantom came first. Uh, I didn't. I don't think I had the growing up on much music history that a lot of people that grew up in Ontario had. We didn't mm. really get it as prevalently in Calgary. But when I was introduced to much and music videos and going to see my first live shows, uh, I was just hooked instantly. And yeah, I couldn't see myself working just some boring desk job, suit and tie. Well, actually, one of the things that I, I always enjoy too is 
no matter who the artist is, like I feel like in our industry, whether it's television or the music industry, sometimes there like a cynicism can kind of creep in when it comes to like, oh, I got to go see this artist. Or I got to go do that. And it's like you hear it everywhere. But I think one of the things that's so uh, refreshing about you is you never have that cynicism. There's always sort of like a sense of like excitement, uh, even though you've yeah. been doing this for a while. Yeah, I try to see the positive in in everything. I mean, everyday life as, as much as I can try to. Uh, but yeah, these uh, these people have jobs. These people are, are living out their dreams. I don't like seeing, you know, Green Day came out with a new album this year and uh, everybody had this sort of, oh, Green Day's still at it. What is this, 1996 again? And it's like, that's what they love to do. Why, why fault them for that? Yeah. Uh, I'm the guy who likes Nickelback and that's not a guilty pleasure. That's, that's what I like to listen to. That's one of the first facts I knew about you. Uh, <laughs> you and Randall, who you'd mentioned before has been on this pod, uh, you guys came from Calgary and you were both legitimate Nickelback fans. Yes. I, I don't even judge it. I just find it fascinating because it's rare that you run into one, which is that's like the old joke where it's like they sell millions of records, but it's like, I don't know any Nickelback fans. Well, right. I know two. Yeah, that's true. Uh, no, I think everybody has those things that they would refer to as a guilty pleasure that I don't think there needs to be any guilt in that. Uh, our friend Greg, who who helps out and, and works at much. Um, Greg Stewart. Greg Stewart. Uh, shout out to Greg. He uses that ice cream analogy. You know, everybody likes ice cream, just different flavors. Ah, um, so, so music's ice cream in this analogy music's ice cream and why judge somebody if they like vanilla ice cream just because it's plain and vanilla it still tastes great can i ask you a question yeah are we gonna act like this isn't the like greatest reunion in much music history right now oh <laughs> I, I know where you're headed with are this. we allowed to bring that up is sure that, they can is, find it online if it they want. still exists online so years ago, uh, Dan and I were working in Much Creative was the name of the, the department. And we came up with these interstitials along with Randall Graham. I, I can't remember. It was like came out of a brainstorm, I believe. Yeah, I didn't come up with them. I can only take credit for the voiceovers. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, basically, it was this it, these interstitials that ran on Much called Male Groupies. And it was these two buffoons kind of in the lovable tradition of Beavis and Butthead or Wayne and Garth or any sort of classic duo that you would see. Um, they were animated and basically they bragged about being male groupies for, you know, Britney Spears or Amanda Bynes or <laughs> who else was in there? Uh, Paris Hilton. Madonna. Yeah. The yeah. Olsen twins. The Olsen twins. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, uh, Dan and I were the voices of the two guys. Yeah. I think it's still online. Male, it, male groupies.com. <laughs> cool. it didn't have look, a website. It it, look it up if you're at home. Malegroupies.com. You can find anything on YouTube. Much yeah. male groupies. If yeah. you, and you'll hear Dan's amazing uh, voice work as we played these two characters. I knew Mike would be a, a voiceover hero way back when. <laughs> Wait, I just, just tried to think of where I was going to go. You were talking about Nickelback, Greg Stewart. Oh, Guilty Pleasures. Yeah. It's funny how we even call them guilty pleasures. I think that we're getting to a place now where people just sort of like are unashamed. Like I'm not like I went on a deep dive with S Club 7 uh, last week. Okay. Because I didn't realize they toured in 2015 and like legitimately all seven of them. All seven of them? I didn't know that either. Oh, I watched the YouTube clips and everything. Uh, They sound pretty good. They look good too. Yeah. Anyway, it made me realize as I went back and started listening to the songs like S Club 7's music makes me happy. Yeah. And I'll probably cut that from the pod because I am mildly ashamed. (laughs) Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking to a Robbie Williams fan as well. Yeah. So, you know, I never got the backlash with Robbie Williams. I don't know. I, I don't know that there's backlash with Robbie Williams. I just think at this stage at 2016, oh. uh, you know, maybe a 30 something straight guy in Canada isn't his target demo. Right. Uh, I think he's more soccer moms. 
When you listen to music and you sort of care so deeply about it, what is it that you're trying to find in the music? Like, is it the the lyrics that you're drawn to? Is the melody? Is it the genre of music? You're like, I just, you know, that piece of rock music really moves me. You know, it makes me want. What is it specifically that you're looking for or that you respond to the most? Is this like an intervention? Yeah, it's, I use the word interview. <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling Max thinks I'm a little bit crazy. Like this might be a, we need a restraining order on Dan. He would of, never sort of say thing. that out yeah. loud. Uh, what was the question? What do I, I find in the music? Um, yeah, when you had, like you mentioned Robbie Williams yeah. or Nickelback or Killers or any of these bands, what is it that you're, you're, you're sort of like, that speaks to you the most? Is it like, oh, that, that turn of phrase is amazing. That's a clever lyric. Or is it just, oh, sonically that music sounds great? Yeah, Musically, I've always been drawn to melodic pop rock, anything with a melody um, and not to sound formulaic, but that, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, guitar, solo, chorus. Um, I love something that sticks in your head. I love radio, pop and rock music. Um, but really, I just like going to shows and, and escaping the day to day monotony. Um, I love seeing the progression of a band go from point A to point B. Um, and it's not one of those I take pride in, oh, I saw the Arkells play Calgary when there was 10 people there. I did see Arkells play Calgary when there was 10 <laughs> people there. Uh, and, you know, now they're they're playing Massey Hall this weekend, and that's incredible, and it's sold out two nights in a row. And I don't mean that as a bragging point, like I saw them back when. I just love seeing that progression of, where a band starts and where they're at now and where they could be going. Um, and I'm, I'm just drawn to that. I'll go to shows by myself and, and just have the time of my life just standing and, and watching a performance. I've seen you do that. We went to U2 a few years ago. Yeah. 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 I'll, and, I'll do that. With and stuff. you had fun, but you were also sort of studying it for what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think everyone gets different things out of shows, but I've also, you know, gone to shows and got drunk off my tree and shook my ass, which is also very fun for me. True. And those aren't fun the next morning. No. We had a Frank Turner night like that a few months back. I'm going to get to Frank Turner. Okay. He's playing Massey Hall with the Arkells this weekend. We've already sort of talked about this show. You mentioned that it's amazing to see the Arkells go from playing to 10 people in Calgary to now selling out two nights in a row at Massey. I, I don't think I've, I've talked to Max really in depth about how he feels about it, but I, I'd like to hope that those guys see it as kind of a benchmark and something that they should be celebrating at this stage in their career to have, Frank Turner opened for them at Massey Hall, I think is a big deal. This is a guy that played the London Olympics opening ceremony and plays arenas in the UK and Europe and does pretty well for himself. So I think it's uh, a testament to how hard Max and those guys have been working. So I'm excited. I bought tickets to, to both nights. I don't care if they play the same songs in the same order both nights. I'm just looking forward to seeing what they can do in that venue, which if, if people from outside of Toronto have never been to Massey hall, that's a reason to travel to Toronto to see a show. If your favorite band is playing Massey hall, fly to Toronto, please. And go see them there. Frank Turner has been on this podcast. He has. Yeah. It's funny when, so he was one of our first interviews ever actually. And it's so funny and um, serendipitous in a weird way that the Arkells and Frank are on tour now together because it was a year ago when we interviewed Frank and we were like, oh, this, it's really cool that we got Frank. Like you just said, he's done all these amazing sort of things. Um, but I had to do a lot of research. I wasn't super familiar with Frank. Like I'd heard his name, but I didn't know. And you were one of the people where it was like, you're like, I f 
love this guy. I am a huge fan. And we actually had a, uh, a night, you and I. Yes, we did. Oh, how, how did that night go? Uh, Frank was doing a, a, a bit of a reading of some road tales. He just, he released a book and he was doing sort of a book reading slash acoustic storytelling night at the garrison. I feel like you're leaving out the best part. I feel like people went for drinks after work. Yeah. And then we started getting kind of drunk and I was supposed to go back to Hamilton. Yeah. And then you were randomly like, Hey, I got an extra ticket to this, to Frank Turner speaking at the garrison. Mm -hmm. It's like, do you want to randomly go? And I had like my backpack with my laptop in it, but like we were a few drinks in and feeling pretty good. But it was one of those, uh, like I knew I was going and I figured I'd pop in for a couple drinks and then, and then bail. Uh, somebody had bailed on plans, but like I said, I'll go to stuff by myself. Uh, but then I figured Mike's always up for like a night. Yeah. Um, and that was a great night. It was amazing. So not only Frank Turner, but all the people that got up and told these stories, so sort of the way that the night functioned was it was like, you'd have uh, stand up comedians or you'd have just sort of storytellers get up and they'd tell a story about something embarrassing that happened to them or maybe a date they went on. And it was like, you'd get sort of one story and they would tell it from start to completion. And it was super entertaining. And then afterward, so after the show, we, he was meeting people because the garrison's not huge. And I was like, oh, you know, I'd interviewed him a few months before. Maybe he'll remember me. So I went up and introduced myself. And I was like, I'm going to introduce you, Dan. And you're like, yeah. you were like, no, no, no. It's yeah. You I, weren't having it. Sometimes, you know, I love meeting uh, my heroes, but sometimes I just like to keep my distance. I don't want to embarrass myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but I made you... Uh, shake his hand. Yeah, you did. We kept it short and sweet. I shook his hand. We snapped a picture and I said, I'll let you go back to uh, the rest of your, your group here. You played it cool, man. I did. Picture turned out okay too. All right. And you'll be seeing him uh, this weekend with yeah, the Arkells. I, I would tell people to go to the show, but it's been sold out for months. So. Yeah. So they're fucked. Yeah. yeah. But shout out to the Arkells. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I'll tell them that. All right. Max gets enough praise on this damn podcast. Restraining order for Dan. On this episode, Dan, this is where you actually have to act like the Max. Oh, right. Um, Tell us who's on this episode. Tribe Called Red. Tribe Called Red. That's correct. That's a good get. Yeah, they were interesting guys. Uh, They, uh, three of them, first time I've ever talked to three guys at once. Is that challenging? Yeah, it is. I mean, so it's a good question. I'd only ever, the most I've done before is two. So I've talked to, uh, men over Stieg from, and his wife, Annie Francis yep. from respectively Colorado and Schitt's Creek. That was my first ever interview. So it was kind of, you know, you go back and forth, but with two people, especially if it's a guy and a girl, you're going to differentiate the voices. Right. What I oh, found yeah. with Florida Georgia line was when I listened back is I should have went on my way to say their names to them specifically as I would ask questions. Right. I just wanted to have clarity because, you know, when you're listening, it's different when it's three people and, you know, I'm the one asking questions, you know, my voice, but then maybe if you don't know the two guys' voices distinctly. So then when it was three fellas from A Tribe Called Red, I was like, okay, you have to use their names. So when they like introduced themselves, I was like, made, like I was like made notes in my mind. And I was like, okay. So when I was like, oh, now Ian, when you say this, you sort of want it to come through um, in a way that completely makes sense to the listener. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, they were really passionate, obviously, because I mean, they are Aboriginal, you know, they talk mm-hmm. about their communities and representing their communities and what their music means to them and the message that they want to get out and the, and the way they want to sort of portray themselves and how that they're viewed in our society. And it was a very, I thought, enlightening conversation. We talked about uh, Gord Downey and his new project. Secret Path. Yes. 
They, uh, I watched them do an interview with Tyrone and I'm not sure if it was just before the pod or just after the pod, but they sort of summed everything up in this nice little soundbite when, you know, Tyrone was, was trying to get them to elaborate on, on these indigenous issues, uh, you know, in Canada, um, in the States. And, you know, they made this great point about these aren't indigenous issues. These are human issues. Like if you need to find a reason to care about it, it you know, these are human beings. You, you don't need to quantify it or qualify it as these are Aboriginal issues. It's like, these are human issues that everybody should care about. And I thought that was great. Cause that's a, a great way of, of sort of getting to the masses and saying, you know, there's a reason for everybody to care about this. Want to get to it? Yeah, let's do it. The place I kind of wanted to start was, you know, before we get into the music, it's like, can you just talk about your origin story and sort of how you met and came together? Yeah, Bear and I, we worked at the same club in Ottawa. And uh, we wanted to throw a party that was geared towards, but not necessarily limited to, the indigenous youth in, in Ottawa. So we threw this party called the Electric Pow Wow with all indigenous DJs. There was four of us at the time, and uh, two of them don't don't work with us anymore. But uh, yeah, we were all indigenous DJs, and that was it. We wanted to throw a party for for native youth that were coming in, and it turned out that. Um, this party, the, the, the people that were coming out were like, yo, you have to keep this up. Like, you can't stop this. Because for, for once, there was students coming in from, from rural, isolated communities up north in, like, Quebec and Ontario, and they're coming to Ottawa for school, and they're in, like, a big culture shock, right? You're coming from a town of, like, literally, like, 600 people, and you know everybody to Ottawa and don't know anybody, and nobody looks like you. You know what I mean? So, like, we created this space, is what they're telling us, that, um, that was safe for them that we, we had to keep up this party. Wow. So we kept up the party. And then we eventually we started playing powwow music just to give back to the people that were there. And then we started mashing that up like with, with dubstep. And then we started producing it ourselves. And then, yeah, it was all, it was all grassroots like that. Like, all we wanted to do was throw a party for Native people. And was it successful sort of out of the gate? Yes. Wow. That idea of like <laughs> culture shock or homesickness isn't something that's just people who are coming from communities. I mean, that's something that all indigenous people feel. Not everybody from communities feels that way. A lot of people come to the city and integrate well. A lot of us in the city never find a way to integrate. So that, that idea of homesick or you know, just being excluded from the general what's happening in urban centers is something that all indigenous people, I think, really feel and suffer from. So the idea that we had created a space that was for indigenous people within the urban landscape was like, that. that I think that was the what really pushed this group, you know, was that we had we had created this something for indigenous people. Which how, how did you guys find yourselves there, though, to even be in a position to sort of create these parties? Yeah, well, I mean, myself, I, I actually grew up here in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, I moved to Ottawa in, like, mid-90s. Uh, but growing up here, um, you know, going to, like, raves and that sort of thing, that, that's, that's kind of where I spent my teenage years, my early 20s, and... During that, you know, kind of wanting to move away from the more political roots that I had been raised in, and I just wanted to have a good time, you know, when you're somebody who's spent your life from as far as you could remember, you know, within the movement, you know, I got to an age and I was just like, I want to I let loose, I want to enjoy, you know, my, my, my uh, late teens, my, my 20s, you know, and, uh, but in the middle of all that, I realized that the party can be political, you know, and that, when, especially when you're talking to people of color, indigenous people, 
that, that, that I was already finding that there were people of color and indigenous people making political dance music even then, you know, groups like uh, Congo Natty or uh, Asian Dub Foundation, things like that, that, you know, here I was in the middle of these raves and there were voices that were speaking to something that I was connected to. And so it was always, I always had that in the back of my head, you know, as a DJ that, you know, the party can be political. We can bring things into the party that are more than, than, than just a party, that you have this opportunity where people are experiencing something together or having a communal experience. And you start, you can start peppering, peppering in little, little things into that. And I started doing that in my DJ mixes, you know, I'd have records, talking records, uh, a lot of dub poetry and things like that, that I just like slide in on top of my mixes, mm -hmm. you know. So Ian, when do you become aware of Bear and how do you guys connect? We worked at the same club. He oh. was a DJ downstairs, I was a DJ upstairs. But I mean, how's the friendship cultivate? Is it just like you're around? Yeah, we're t two native DJs working in the same club. <laughs> yeah. That's how we started hanging out and we wanted to like throw that party. And then that's where like, you know, hanging out after hours, talking, like it's, that's, that's where it came from. That's yeah. where this friendship yeah. grew, yeah. And then I started making beats when I was like 16 on the res, about an hour and a half from here. And um, I started doing um, collections of music with a friend of mine. He goes by the name Sazy. And um, we did some stuff on hiphopcanada.com back in the day. And it started doing really well. And um, that, that was my ticket into Toronto. I start coming working with people in Toronto, like with people like Rich Kid and like Freedom Writers and stuff like that. So it's like it, I ended up getting like um, experience in that kind of field. But just me being like a native producer, like getting into beats, um, these guys kind of heard of me through that. And then um, it was always something like, oh, you're a native producer, you know, and then kind of like uh, just we kept in touch with each other. Yeah, and then eventually it just came one of those things like yeah we should do some stuff together and a couple like four years ago that's kind of when our first true collaboration happened mm -hmm. yeah well like you're saying like your music is really collaborative like how do songs come together between you guys and how much sort of discussion goes on when you have guest vocalists wow i guess it's the idea at first like there's always like a like there, we always like uh well, well when we work with art especially on this al album there was a lot of times where it was just the idea of having working with this artist and then kind of going into their world and then them kind of meeting us and ours in a way. And then um, um, I'm not really too versed into like the electronic scene as far as like um, the, the whole the whole dance culture. This is something that's kind of brand new in the last three, four years for me. But um, having these guys like encyclopedias of like knowledge of like like you were hearing Big Bear has been DJing this is his 20th year of DJing and then so it's like having him and even he goes even spans further than that his musical knowledge so having people like him kind of educate me on the music stuff and like uh, we should try something like this like this is this kind of music and so I've been I've been in being dipped into different kinds of music so when we talk about working with other people we're like yo we should try to do like a Jersey Club track or something like that so like or whatever and then um it just it's becoming pretty organically like around like how that has been and we just sit in front of our gear and we just hammer out ideas until we get a solid idea and then the process has been like we have like an idea then we kind of put it to the side and then the last when we, when we did this last record not every everything came together within the last four months 
before the album came out. We went to Bear's uh, attic where we had our studio, and we all just kind of came together and just took those ideas and like uh, tempered them into like solid songs. Um, we did all our last minute changes, our our donuts that we like to throw in there, and like the special breakdowns and like that the special sounds within it, the dropouts, everything that we that makes the song unique rather than just like the the, the constant um, tempo of, of of the music. The four four. Yeah. yeah, the four four or whatever. Um, yeah, and then um, honestly, the whole magic kind of happened. Uh, we captured the magic as the inspiration happened, whether it be on the road or in the studio in LA or in a camping shack in northern Norway. You know, we got the ideas down there. And then we took that last four months, man, we just took all those ideas that we had and then we just made an actual song out of each one. Took some time with it. We'd spend like a couple weeks doing it and then we'd take a break. Then we'd come back into it like a month later and do the same thing all over again. Change some stuff around. I'd be like that. And we did that for like a couple months, like four months, I'm going to say. And then once we finally got comfortable with like finalizing songs, then that's when it kind of started getting into that phase where we're like, are we okay with this? Are we okay with this? Are we okay with this? All right. And then we just kind of just sent it off. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that we've got the album mixed by somebody. It's usually been in-house mixed. So you gone outside for somebody else. You gave yeah, it. yeah. And then this guy we got, his name's Dan Weston. Dan Weston. Great guy. I met him. Um, he actually came to my res on Six Nations to mix Shad's TSOL album. And um, that's how I met him. So I knew that he was already into like um, mixing you know, hip-hop and stuff that makes things slap and like having a nice warm sound. So it was, uh, we reached out a couple to a couple other mixers as well in the city and I'm in Canada but you know he stood out from the rest and so we went with him and um, it was awesome to not have to worry about mixing and he also added stuff to the album too as well like um, he made it sound like what it is right now I give him all that credit Mm. So that's on the production side of things, what you guys do, you do your thing, whether you have, you know, someone doing spoken word or like, you know, rapping on a track, you know, whether it's like the social or political themes, how much do you guys discuss with them the content of what they're talking about? How involved are you guys in that whole thing? That's really interesting because like uh, it seemed to like hanging out with Saul Williams for like we we hung out with him for like three or four days in the studio. And some of the things that com- came out in his lyrics were definitely like taken from the conversations that we were just having in the studio. So, uh, yeah, I don't, and and it's all on them. Like we don't we don't say like, hey, you should write about this. That's what I was getting. No, at. yeah, we don't do that at all. Okay, interesting. And uh, so it's like it's a true collaborative thing, right? Like it, all the songs that we did, like with Tanya, um, she sent us. No, we sent her a beat. She did it in one take and just like. Listening to the track in cans and did her thing over it and sent back the acapella and then we took that acapella and built a beat like a completely other beat around this acapella outside of what she recorded outside of what she recorded yeah Yeah. I mean like it could have been fine like her just doing something (laughs) over that but like when we got it back and she completely destroys like it was better it was was better than what we sent her they were gonna be like (laughs) all right now we have to make something that kind of complements what she does and like at least sounds dope because like. Yeah, we need we need to catch up to her greatness. You want to keep matching game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got we got to match we got to match her greatness, and so it is. And like, and we we tried to do that. <laughs> what was really cool was someone pointed out that that's like uh, the way that that those throat singing go too. Is that like someone tries it and like it's a, it's a call and response thing. So mm-hmm. the way that that track worked out was like a call and response sort of thing, which is dope. I never thought of it that way until I was 
brought up. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys also had uh, Yasin Bay on this record. That's yeah. right. How does that come about? Uh, through Narsi. It was okay. all uh, Narsi. Narsi uh, and our brother, um, Buddha Blaze, who's our tour manager, they're best friends and they like they they've done shows Buddha together Buddha's they work together DJ, yeah actually oh gotcha yeah Narcy's DJ is Buddha who's our tour manager so is that something where you, <laughs> like how aware was he of your story or is it just sort of a thing where through connects it happens are you guys do you specifically go for him is he coming to no, you no it was it was all just kind of by right place at the right time but once we started talking it's you know there's an understanding there for what we're trying to portray yeah. yeah, there's a lot of like like-minded like-mindedness with all of our collaborators. You know that we get them, they get us, kind of thing, and it seemed like to fit like very well. Uh, you know, it didn't. We, I didn't really understood like if the collaboration would have worked with Yasin until we actually had a conversation with him, and then when once we got that, it became like you know Im that important for us to to work with him. How important is that? Like the vibe when you're talking to other artists and you're. you're considering a collaboration is it like ah, you know we'll, we'll kind of try anything if they sort of have a certain amount of talent we respect their work or does it like have to vibe in that conversation to be like yeah let's go forward hmm I think the talent t talent definitely matters um, and but like the vibe is definitely something that carries it to that extra special place like um, the greatest thing about all of our collaborate collaborators that we've worked with um, is that when we were in a studio, we felt like we captured something from them every single time, like a, a moment or a special like take that they did. So everything that they, I, I love every, everything from our collaborators because they put their all into it. Right, even to Black Bear, like like collaborating with, like, with the drum group and getting them to like re-record things and to like uh, and them going all out on a track and track and blowing us away. You know, and it always felt like to me, it always felt like um, that uh, it was a constant thing of like, okay, we need to do this right because they gave us their all. So um, when it comes to vibe and when it comes to like uh, the content and everything like that, they 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 did they, they, they did it well. Yeah, content that's 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 a huge thing, you know, especially when we're now that we're working with vocalists. You know, it's like the content has to agree and align with what we wanted to put out there. You know, even like we've worked with artists who, you know, awesome track contents, totally what we what we're about. But oh, you you dropped whore in there. Yeah. Okay. We we can't have that in the song. When we're done, and it doesn't matter what you're talking about. We're not going to put a song out that refers to anybody as a whore. Mm -hmm. So can you please switch that line? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because we love everything else you say, and we're all about everything you say. We just can't have you saying that. Well, that's what I was getting at. I mean, it's like you guys, you know, you're a tribe called Red, and at the end of the day, your album that you put it, that represents you guys. And so I was wondering, like, when a vocalist comes and say they you want to use a word like that, you guys are 100% comfortable with, like, no, that's not going to Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have that conversation because yeah. it's not, it's more than just representing us, right? There's the representing us, but we're also using our culture in our music. Right. So we're representing our culture. And we have to not only be mindful of what's going to represent us, but we have to be mindful of what people who are involved in that culture are going to think of the way we're using it. So if we're misusing those powwow samples and we're putting on some oh, some nonsense, some some so some nonsense, then those people are going to not be happy with what we're doing. And those mm -hmm. people who are who are to me very very generous to allow us to do what we do, mm -hmm. you know, like I expected us to get shut down out of the gate. You know, from people just saying, oh, no, you guys can't do that. 
fascinating. But we're fortunate enough to be at a time when we're, you know, we're pushing, we're pushing comfort levels on all sides, not just with non-Indigenous people. We're pushing <coughs> comfort levels on in our community by using powwow music, by using traditional music the way that we are. And the people who are, are the, the, the keepers of that, I guess you would say, have allowed us to do this. No one's come and said, you can't do that. Why do you here's, think... Here's, hold on, here's well, a big... Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, no, I, I wanted to get your thought. What were you going to say you were going to add on? Uh, the big thing for, for me, the realization that if we're putting out like oppressive lyrics and like misogyny lyrics as we're trying to elevate our community, we're oppressing half of our community. Half of our community are women. And that like it, we don't really notice that intersectionality. And if you're using oppressive lyrics against women or misogyn misogynistic uh, lyrics against women, and again, you're trying to like elevate your community, it just doesn't work if you're oppressing half your community when you're doing it. Right. Back to what Bear was saying, you're saying that like you know the keepers, as you call them, of this music, of the the samples and sort of that more traditional music, they didn't push back. They've allowed you to. Why do you think that has been the case? Uh, it's a timing thing. I think that we came about, if we had tried to do what we were doing 10 years or even five years before we started, I don't think people would have been okay with it. But it came at a moment where, this is like I've always said, this thing that we're writing isn't ours. We're, we just are the ones who came around at the time to harness some part of this energy in, in, in some way. That really what we do is a reaction, I feel, to what people are looking for what indigenous people are looking for. And not, and not even just the ones of the indigenous people of Canada or of the Americas. Across the world, there seemed to have been this light that turned on a while ago where indigenous, young indigenous people felt that it was time to show our culture in a way it had never been shown before and portray ourselves in a way that we've never been able to portray ourselves before mm -hmm. through using our culture and using that strength and that knowledge of history and of knowledge of self. That, that, that we all have from, from having that cultural background, from having being raised with all that, um, all that knowledge. And c because it's resonating so broadly outside of communities, communities and everywhere, uh, that can only be a good thing, I imagine, where everybody feels like, you know, it's like a high tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Traveling and, and like meeting um, other indigenous people in other like colonial countries was really like a, a, a big wake up for us and, and realizing that like colonization kind of has a checklist mm. and we're all going through the exact same things right now like a you know finding out that in Australia they also have like the reservation system and they also have like just like the, they, they had residential schools they had like it's it's exactly the same like our histories are like it was a, it was a, it, colonization has a checklist and it's like you know eliminate the, the 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 culture and the knowledge in the children so send them to these these schools that are that are christian schools to like instill this this christian ideology it, the idea here in, in canada was kill the indian save the child mm. right mm. and it like it that, that and you see like the children you're talking about the residential schools yeah yeah, yeah things like that so they have they had those in australia they have like in 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 sami country right now they're protesting pipelines that are going through their traditional um reindeer territory like it's like we're all going through the same things like we're all doing it and, and and yeah history has been sort of sadly common all over the world exactly and traveling and meeting these people and linking up and hearing these stories has been like extremely eye-opening and as bear was talking about before being like lonely in your in your own country like this this country of canada was never meant for indigenous people well, we're actually like in the way of it hmm. of, of the progress of it right like we, what we were was something completely different until it got colonized and called canada and like all these things so it's a, 
So you were going to say something about that? What really blew my mind was I knew like going into it that going to places like Australia that there would be this commonality of having to survive colonization and that we would, there would be an automatic um, dialogue to have with indigenous people there, you know, things that, that we wouldn't have to explain because we know we went through similar processes. I was ready for that. That was something that, that, I, was, that I was almost looking forward to, knowing that we would have these similarities. Uh, what I wasn't expecting was to find out how close indigenous cultures are across the planet. In their experiences. Not, no, 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 no. In, in the, their culture. Their traditions. Their traditions. Like, liter literally, their literally Tim and I were standing there watching a dance, and it was familiar, and then it turned into almost exactly something from our community. It, it, it was like they crossed this threshold where it was like... <gasps> Yeah, you know, like we, I, I think I did that. I was like, I can't believe I'm watching this. Why yeah. do you think that is? Why? Because we Connec connection to the earth. Yeah, <laughs> this is where we're from. It's like, and so if 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 you're if you're people who are still remember your connection to the earth and what it means not to be above your environment but part of your environment, there's going to be a commonality there. Mm -hmm. That's mind blowing. It's 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 a concept that's really really old. For us, but not it's just a connection. Like it wasn't just music. Like they have they have a smudging ceremony that they call it like a smoking ceremony. And like you know the medicines are different, but the intentions, what you're doing, like they're all exactly the same. And it was like that's what was mind blowing. And it also made sense at the same time, mm -hmm. right? You know what I mean? It was the familiarity and like the community. The the sense of community was the same too. Like I felt totally at home hanging out in in those communities. And it's crazy, like seeing us doing the music and them feeling like you know that's that's. They feel the same thing that we feel, and, and when, when, when it comes when, when the music's too. So like the the same kind of reactions that our people have with what we're doing with music is the same kind of thing reaction that they feel when they hear our music. So we connect on that kind of level. It's it's a really, it's 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 so um, heartwarming almost. You know, especially when we're on tour almost, and going yeah. away some far away. We're like ha we're, we're exactly like halfway around the world, <laughs> yeah. and we feel at home. <laughs> and then, like, when, and when we make music halfway around the world, and they listen to it, and it makes them feel the same way that we feel. So there's a there's a strong connection with that with us. Um, going a bit back to what you were mentioning about um, the schools and the, the sort of assimilation and the attempt of you know colonialism to do that, mm -hmm. uh, Gord Downey has a new record out mm -hmm. called uh, The Secret Path, and mm -hmm. it's the story of Cheney Wenjek. Mm -hmm. um, I know we collaborated on that with Joseph Boyden, mm -hmm. who is also a part of your guys record mm -hmm. how did that come about and uh, I mean some of those themes and, and subject matters on your record as well how much does that story sort of resonate and what did you want to get across with sort of the collaboration on your record with Joseph that was all Joseph like jo uh, Joseph um, came up with the concept of that because he was doing a book as well mm -hmm. he has a book that he has a book that he did and that's how that come but he also knew that Gord was working on this project as well with him and um he, he, we came or we gave him the what is it the theme of our album which was the hallucination and he heard it and he heard our records and he was in the studio with us again like around the same time we were working on like compiling all the ideas and those last couple months he came there and he listened to the record and then he was like okay I, I, I know what I need to do and then he came up with that story and and um, it's it's a very powerful story, and it's it 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 works so well with the record. Like I I, did, I had no idea it was going to sound like that, but it sounded but yeah, awesome. It was it was Joseph's intent to have like all three of these projects kind yeah. of inter 
linked and like spoken about mm -hmm. yeah. and all coming at the same time because yeah. like everything is sort yeah. of so there's a coordinated effort to yeah. sort of get it was, it was, it was, it was like yeah, yeah it was definitely like yo you're doing I'm doing this maybe we should do, and then it was like it just worked you know what I mean it just worked out in this like amazingly serendipitous way where it just like it, it's perfect it works perfect well, we, in we, our we invited him to, to be part of the album and then kind of just gave him open like you have an opportunity to put whatever you want on the album and we were uh, working on developing storylines for the album uh, and it went through a few different phases with that and at first he had been writing kind of on this uh, uh, bandits revolutionaries kind of theme and mm -hmm. he'd be writing these vignettes for that and stuff and then like Tim was saying it came to this one conversation that we were having as the album was coming together and realized that all these things could be linked and could be could be intertwined and that he could write these pieces from the perspective of his character and then have his character from his novel so it, he, he touches you know the things um, uh, you know around the novel and meeting uh, meeting uh, Chani but then he also talks about the hallucination in his pieces as well mm -hmm. so this character then is existing in both of our fantasies at the same and then at the end of the album we actually we, we talk to him so you know it, it, it's this idea that um, when, when you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of sci-fi you know and, and I've watched so much stuff in science fiction become reality through our lifetimes right? There's so much of that happened but so much of that sci-fi is this dystopia written by white men and so that's that's the future that's being imagined and then becoming real right now. So what I find, what what, I, what uh, is happening, you know, with this project, is imagining a different future. So taking those same ideas of, of that that's like sci-fi writers have about imagining a future, but having it happen in a in a different fantasy space. <coughs> and so if it is self-fulfilling, then wouldn't we rather fulfill a more positive exactly. vision of the future? So, so offering mm -hmm. another another fantasy idea of what the future could be, but in in a different light, you know. You went, well, you, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, like this dystopian future that's written by, you know, white men. On that subject, someone like Gord, you know, tells the story of Chani. And do you guys have any thoughts on, like, is it okay to have someone like Gord tell that story? Or is it part where it's like, it's not Gord's story to tell. It should come from somebody yeah, that's maybe a little George, closer to it. George's got the, the blessing of the families. Like, he hung out with the families. Like, this wasn't, he wasn't just like, I'm going to write about this because I feel like it. Sure. Like, he, he came in with, like, full intentions. He get like, on the stage, he, like, he had Chani's sister on with him. Like, he has yeah. the full support of the family, full support of, like, the community. Yeah, the respect, too. And yeah, that matters. You go about it the right way, then anybody can take up the cause. Of course, it's, it's it makes no difference. But it, it's it, it, and also like another another thing that happened like within this too is like uh, uh, Shailene Woodley getting arrested. Absolutely. And then that bringing all this attention, and then like her next interview was like, "Look, it took me as a white woman to get arrested for you people to f recognize this," and it's just like. It, it, for the first time, and then another example, like just within this vein, that do the 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 actor that won. Um, Best actor for tra Transparent. Oh, uh, is Jeffrey Tambor? Yeah, yep. yeah, that's him, right? He was like, I don't like, thank you, but I don't know why I'm casted in this. Like, we need to start casting trans people to start doing like for the first time. People in the privilege of where they're at, they're confronting it, and they're 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 actually speaking up for the people that, of the space that they're taking they're taking up and saying that it should be different. Mm -hmm. And it just seems that this this societal like change and and recognizing privilege 
and um, also like for me I've, I lived through like a, a couple of like heavy cancer things in my life like my dad died of cancer my wife kicked cancer like it, it really really close to me so I know personally on like a personal level I know what he's, he's kind of going through with his family how important this time is how scary this time is and he's taking this like very uh, critical time to like spread this word this story and um, yeah I think it's really impressive I mean, it's awesome that he is t like taking this up, and I think you know, as somebody who is uh, Canadian, that you know, Canada, you know, any Canadian is part of this whole system that that created that. But it is it, we do have to ask the questions about who's telling our stories, you know, and that 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 is a really um, it, it can be a difficult thing when you when you look at at non-indigenous people getting in the spotlight for these things. But I do agree that it, that Gord's doing it. Right, but I think that's totally a conversation that needs to be had. I'm glad that you asked yeah, the question really because because it's something that a lot of people don't even think to ask. You know, it's just like, yay, let's applaud these people for talking about the Indians. <laughs> yeah, that's right? what I was getting. Yeah, yeah, but and 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 I do think you know we do need to see the faces from our community getting out there and and talking about these issues and getting the opportunity like like we're like we're beginning we're to get right to, to do it ourselves. I think that that is very important. Lastly, uh, what are your guys' hopes for the hallucination? Or is that a sort of a too broad of a question? Like, it's like, oh, we want it to do well, we want it to raise awareness, we want people to be into it. We want well, look, to I, I like dance. your first question. You know, like, what are our hopes for the hallucination? Yeah. Because I, like, really did not know how people were going to react to it, that we were putting a lot into it. And it's like, it's heavily layered. The whole, uh, you know, what the hallucination is, what it stands for, you know, it exists on different levels. It exists mm -hmm. in reality, it exists in fantasy, it exists in the future, it comes from the past, it's happening right now. You know, so I, I didn't know whether or not people were going to grab onto it. You know, and, and there's a real, you know, and a, I mean, this is something I think that comes from the industry a lot of the time that, you know, okay, you know, you can't make it too complicated for people. People, it's going to go over people's heads, and so there was a lot of worry about that with 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 the layers that are going into this. Not just the music, but the layers of the message and the idea, and people have grabbed onto it. And you know, just watching like social media and the way that people have 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 been drawn to it and have held it up and made it their own right away in the same way that they've done with with our music and our message in the past, and so to watch it actually resonate and actually work with people has is, is been blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. So if, it, if that continues and we just see that grow, I'll be happy. But I mean, I'm just so happy that the people now who have understood it and it's resonated with them, that they've made it their own. Mm. Totally. And it's like, um, it's, it's just for, for me, it's, it's really like what he was saying, but like the whole thing of it being kind of a fiction kind of world, but it's, it's, it's becoming alive and like a real thing and like that 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 whole thing is like it, it's it's really it's it's it just it's just a, a hard thing to grasp but it's awesome that it's happening and it's so 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 awesome and i'm just really and I, what was one thing that you said that when someone says like uh so what is we are the hallucination mm -hmm. hallucination and you're like yes you are <laughs> <laughs> like you are part of it yeah. you know like yeah. you are like if you know so it's like it's it's really really cool to see it become, like come into fruition of this this real thing, real organic thing, and um, it's not ours, you know. We're just a part of it, just like everyone else is. Um, it's really John's idea, and it's awesome to see it like come to life like this. 
You know, I had a, I had a moment of fear because this all happened really fast <clears> once John <throat> sent us the hallucination poem. We got these ideas. Okay, this is going to be the album. It's going to be the title of the album. We're going to make these patches. We got a patch made up really quickly, physical one. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh wait, I never like talked to John about making this into something. Like we're bringing this idea into reality. Is that what he meant? Are we reading something else into this? That, so I, I wrote him an email and was just like, hey, this is what we're doing. Here's a photo of the patch. We're going to call it the album The Hallucination. We're putting these poems on the beginning and the end. And the way he wrote back was, you know, thank you. The hallucination is real. Oh. So it was just like, okay, you guys, you guys did it. Through. You, you did what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, for me, like, um, we went to the, Narcy was in town. We were in town a, a few weeks ago for the, the Keitra show in, in Anderson Pack during Manifesto. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and um, I, we were at that show hanging out, and I was walking through with Narcy, and uh, it blew my mind on how many times he was stopped by like other Muslim people to be like, yo man, thank you so much for what you're doing. And like, you know, the video that he put out was like, they were so behind it and they were so like, about it and then they'd be like oh he'd be like oh yeah this is dj in of a tribe called red they're like oh hey yo man like what you were doing was like incredible and all this it was just i i realized that like it it, it i only saw it for my community right like i only saw this this thing from my perspective and it, it, it hanging out with other people and seeing like their communities react to this project and what was going on was like this is way bigger than i first saw it or my, my first like hey this can do a lot like it could do way more than i thought than i first saw it succeeded all expectations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait well, thanks for your time. Thank you Guys, so much. I really appreciate it. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the episode, the dessert. Uh, this is a little bit of a unique dessert because Dan Crothers, uh, who was on for the opening, we've invited to stay for the dessert. I feel honored. Shane, how do you feel about Dan being here for the dessert? I like it. I don't know uh, what kind of vibe he gives off. Was he like more on the funnier tip and off the top? He, he swore more? a lot. We just talked shit about you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've never known Dan to swear. <laughs> That's actually He's the first time I've asked yeah. once he gets on the mic, eh? Yeah. So how's it going? What's been going on? Is this like the Halloween episode? Oh. Or is that not... No, Halloween. This Should will we not on, keep it topical? This will air on Friday. Halloween just happened. Okay, because I like these to live forever, so usually we try to... Keep it generalized. You know, but if someone listens to it in three months from now, they'll know what Halloween is. And I have nothing else to talk about. So that <laughs> that definitely helps. You don't have any thoughts out. on the election next week? You know I don't, Dan. Dan is one of the people who listens religiously to the pod. And beyond the pod, he knows me on a personal level. So he knows I am apolitical. A political what? A political <laughs> dummy. If you want to get... <laughs> I'm an uneducated fool if we want to get really uh, deep into it. Um, but to talk about Halloween for a bit, speaking of politics, um, as a lot of people know, this is one of the trickiest times of year for political correctness. And I'm honestly like legit. People think I'm trying to be offensive at all times. I'm not. I'm trying to be honest. And although I don't agree with people being overly sensitive, I do try to be extremely careful. And uh, like there was a story just came out. People went as three blind mice, for example, college students who oh, really just not celebrities, just regular, people. just college students that got kicked out of the college for b being insensitive, I guess, to blind people. And my wife's cousin went as Terry Fox and did it like a pretty good job. I thought of the costume and she was getting grief 
for being insensitive to, I guess, people with wooden legs. Last <laughs> people year- People with wooden legs, like pirates? Pi- <laughs> pi- what, pirates don't exist, Mike? There's a whole pirate community you just laughed at. Nobody gets offended for the pirate thing. That's because there's not enough of them. If they were to rise up, what I'm saying is a lot of pirates don't have the internet. They don't speak their voice. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not land dwellers, Dan. So we never hear about them. So last year, I tried to- <laughs> Last year, I tried to go as Owen Wilson from Royal, Royal Tenenbaums, and I didn't. I couldn't find a wig in time because I'm a bit of a, a last minute guy. And my face paint had people believe that I was the Lone Ranger. And Johnny Depp got in trouble for that for for just being a white guy, you know, being cast in a movie, being paid millions. He as got Tonto. So me not being paid millions, just walking around, I was getting some Toronto grief. And then it was a very specific reference because it's Owen Wilson in that one scene in that one movie. It's it's true. But and I wasn't thinking also the costume really only came to life if I was with my um, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, who was Gwyneth Paltrow. So people really only pieced it together when we were together. But the coming from Toronto and being on the bus, people were drinking. I was getting a lot of grief. Uh, my costume wasn't supposed to be about indigenous people or aboriginal but people were taking it that i was being offensive yeah you know and th- I, that wasn't even my costume you know i was you were just, owen wilson i as was a being owen wilson who paints his face in paint that people i guess thought was tribal anyway this year i just wanted to play it totally safe so i went for um jason williams i just wanted to go as him because he's a white basketball player i could shave my head and no one's saying shit about it but my wife, on the other hand, wanted to go as Allen Iverson. So she, unlike me, was being a little bit gutsier. She went all out, got full cornrows, put the mustache on, got the sleeve, wore the baggy shorts and the shirt. And she grew a goatee. She grew a goatee. It's a commitment. And then immediately, though, she kind of chickened out. She got scared as soon as she had the the hair on. And we had to walk around the mall because I had to get, like, uh, basketball shoes to wear as my costume. So she wore the hood. She was going to chicken out. At the last minute, once the goatee actually was drawn on, truth be told, she didn't grow it. She drew it on. She just became Alan Iverson. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she became Alan Iverson. Like, so she... Had the uh, he has this famous bit on how he uh, he doesn't care about practice like everyone knows it yeah, like, yeah practice yeah. look it up online if you haven't listeners uh, so I think she, it's on the I think it's on the mic on much Twitter too your the video oh the video you're I getting did. to this oh I that's assume. awesome yeah, yeah so I, I recorded a video I put it on YouTube you can search it I called it a uh, hot wife does Alan Iverson imitation that's impersonation funny. I like that all that. You're just trying to get clicks. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's how you get YouTube clicks. All those buzzwords. Yeah. 87 views. Do not lie, Mike. (laughs) So anyway, the moment of truth is happening. We're actually going to bring her out in the public. And I'm walking towards the house party. And these black guys are walking towards us. And uh, I'm getting a little scared about what's going to happen. And then they see me. And they're just like don't care about my costume or whatever. They're almost mad at how like disgraceful of a costume it is. They see Alex. They do like a double take. They're like, yo, AI. They're like, the answer is here. And they were so <laughs> excited. Then we keep walking. A, a black guy runs out of a movie theater we passed, like drops his broom. He was like sweeping shit up. He's like, yo, AI. And she's like walking around and like basically like the mayor of Hamilton all of a sudden. 
So it was, I guess the point is you can appropriate the culture if you do it respectfully and like deadly accurate. Do you get why people at large though have an issue with it? Um, no, well, it's hard because being a white person, like you went whiteface for Halloween. I was playing the Android data from Star Trek The Next Generation, but yes, you are correct. That's you were. True. You were a little paler. The issue is, though, that Alex can put in her coros and she can be Alan Iverson for a night, but then she gets to go back to being a pretty blonde girl. And so if you're a, a, a person that's had a particularly tough go because of the color of your skin historically or mm-hmm. even this day and age, which obviously look at the news, it's a huge issue. They don't get to just go back. They can't hide. So it's like, it's fun to appropriate Allen Iverson and everything about the hip hop persona and all that stuff and like put on the costume. But then the next day she gets to go back to getting a skate in society. In theory, mm-hmm. I'm telling yeah, you. Not, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The thought process. Whereas for a lot of people in society, they go, well, that's bullshit. So you get all the fun, you know, you get to dress like Beyonce in the formation video, but then you get to go back to your life the way it was. So it's like, yeah, Beyonce's life's probably hell, eh? <laughs> <laughs> You get to be a pretty white girl. I'm just a billionaire, beautiful black woman. I play the VMAs again. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, but that's that's the but, issue. Yeah, that was a bad example, Mike, but I get your point. Yeah. But what are your views on someone, be, like let's say I went as Drake from Degrassi and I was in a wheelchair. Yeah. Is that crossing the line? Like I don't even know, my problem is I don't even know the line to cross. I think that I think that the question would, or the answer to that would be, if I'm answering, is like I don't, I can't answer I can't answer what it feels like for a minority or somebody that's disabled. Like, I don't know how they feel because I'm not them. And that's the whole point. So it's like, it's not mine to, to dress up as or joke about anything like a nun, a pregnant nun. That's a funny gag, but to nuns, they're probably like, Hey, that's sacrilegious there. Or like walking around as a murderer or something. It's like, well, my son was murdered, you know? So well, if you go as Paul Bernardo, I guarantee you that's incredibly insensitive to the family of his victims. Can we find a way to have a, a, a costume that's not <laughs> offensive or like is just a little more thoughtful? I don't like. I don't know the answer. Like, I would think in a in a perfect world, someone should be able to go dress as their favorite basketball player. So if she wants to like put her cornrows in and dress like Allen Iverson, that's fine. But contextually, with the history, maybe it's something that she just can't do. Yeah, like that tennis player Jeannie Bouchard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She went as Kim Kardashian. She put it like a big butt. She did. Is that okay? That's a good question. Dan? God, I'm starting to realize why I haven't dressed up for Halloween in like six years. <laughs> yeah, you total One year, though, you totally appropriated Weird Al. Appro- did I <laughs> appropriate his culture? Yeah. A- accordion players everywhere. And you were offended. Nerdy white Identical guy. to him, though. Yes. So I think you were respectfully appropriated him. Right. So what's the, what would the argument be against doing the Kim Kardashian thing? You're insensitive to women with that are larger? Big, beautiful booties. And Jeannie Bouchard doesn't have that. The next day, she goes back to being a normal-sized... Skinny white girl, yeah. Mm-hmm. That could it could be an argument. I don't know. You'd have to talk to someone with a big booty and see if they're offended. Exactly. So, Dan, are you offended by that? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the dessert. That's it. That's all. That's the episode. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. We want to thank a tribe called Red. We want to thank Shane for coming on and uh, doing his Shane thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what, Dan? You're the max uh, this episode, so why don't you take care of all of the uh, 
Oh, you know, we want to thank uh, Greg Stewart, a uh, big supporter of the pod. You know, hey, and uh, if you like the pod, leave a leave a rating on iTunes. That uh, that helps us out a lot. Do I sound like Max? It's pretty good. Kind of, he kind of gets up here when he's when he's asking you to do something. <laughs> Where can you find uh, us on Instagram and Twitter? You can find at Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you know, send us a tweet. Tell us what you think of the episodes. And the artwork's so good. Who does that? Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. Do you want to do the line dance and share a No, 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 no. The pleasure is all yours. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.